0: Welcome to BizBites, brought to you by Com Together, helping businesses like yours build their brand through telling amazing stories to engage and grow audiences on multiple platforms. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Biz Bites. and I've got a, a fascinating guest with me today. Uh, Roger and I have got to know each other a little bit over the last couple of years, and we've had many detailed discussions about lots of different things, but uh, I thought he'd be a fantastic person to get on the show. So without further ado, Roger, I'll allow you to formally introduce yourself to our audience. Good on you, Anthony.
1: Many thanks, and hi, everyone. Yes, my name's Roger. I um, have uh, extensive background in investment management and uh, quantitative finance. So um, I originally pursued an actuarial career and took a, a different path um, ended up, I was very fortunate. I helped set up Vanguard's investment team when they first established operations in Australia, managing the global equity and, um, and uh, investment team and fixed income team. Uh, left Vanguard, uh, to I uh, was chief investment officer for one of the local industry funds here, running the team there. Ultimately, end up building my own um, investment capabilities, uh, which I'm now doing uh, in a couple of different forms. Primarily, this one with my colleagues at Amic Capital, really focusing on um, building investment strategies. That uh, it, it's an interesting story in itself, but try and combine different elements around which companies we believe are doing, um, I think, the best things to address climate challenges issues. But um, with my quantitative background um, and always sort of acknowledging Warren Buffett as an interesting character as well, I have to satisfy my um, Warren Buffett quant criteria as well.
0: Well, that's, that's a, that's a pretty high criteria to, to satisfy. So yes. <laughs> tell me about, let's start with that. Let's, let's start from the top. How do we, yes. how do we, uh, how do you quantify, a, a what, what does the Warren Buffett criteria look like?
1: Well, it, it's interesting. It, it's more around, um, understanding what are the different factors that drive the, um, returns in different companies. And, uh, there's a variety of different ways that you can classify them. Um, perhaps been a little bit cheeky uh, taking that. Um, it, it's, it's always interesting to see um, uh, very different ways of thinking about analysing companies, literally from Microsoft and Apple, BHP and, and the largest sort of um, market capitalization companies down to companies that have all different sorts of characteristics Um, and the main ones being um, um, what we kind of can put into different categories Um, we call them factors so quality factors what does the balance sheet look like and that's become actually quite interesting with interest rates rising more recently and you may have seen with a number of these um, uh, different types of companies that have gotten going um, but doesn't take much of a change in interest rates them to for the balance sheet to be under pressure through to looking at the nature of, of uh, capital flows I'm sure as you can appreciate it doesn't I've seen guys I'm involved in a, a professional body called the Institute for quantitative research in finance um, but and I've you know seen people produce a variety of fascinating but quite complex quant models to analyze the stocks but I've always felt the most important criteria is, um, you know, it doesn't matter what sort of business you're running, is there more money coming in the door than going out? And uh, <laughs> how do you actually address those things? And th- there's a variety of different ways that you can look at, um, you know, those types of factors. Um, the traditional what we call value factors. So that looks at everything from, um, <clears throat> without getting too technical, the price earnings ratio, that's a quite a common one. Um, NVIDIA is a good example of that recently, I'll come back to, So, um, but it looks at how does cash turn into earnings, ultimately into dividends. As, you know, as I like to wind up, people who sort of say to me, oh, you know, uh, propertys always good because it goes up. And I said, yes, 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 but I only want to buy companies that I know they're going to pay the rent. And, <laughs> um, it's how to combine all those different components because I found the interesting challenge is what we call factor investing tends to just focus on particular groups of factors and they think those ones will always do well and here's the companies that fit that criteria. But I've found over the... It's a bit astonishing now. I've been managing uh, portfolios for coming up to nearly 25 years now how the factor emphasis changes over time. And I think you need to be able to adapt um, to accommodate those sorts of things. And, you know, the portfolio as it currently stands is... it's. Uh, yeah, presenting quite interesting challenges in that context, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's always a, a really um, um, great way to be able to um, think, analyze, and construct and build portfolios.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a, a an interesting idea, isn't it? I mean, looking, we go back to the beginning of that and saying you know, you can't get a, uh, too many better people to be guided by than Warren Buffett. He's obviously got uh, a, yes. uh, a a fair portfolio. But he's got an <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's he's done yeah. all right for him he's done yeah. all right for himself warren he can he can shout dinner yeah. for us he, um, he could but just it's just interesting
1: to see i think you know i perhaps might have been a bit churlish over the journey because the different types of things that he looks at i think it's fascinating how he's been able to build and succeed given just the size and scale of the berkshire hathaway business nowadays um but i think it's there's always different things around, you know, he has this theory around, okay, what sort of moat does the company have that prevents others from being able to encroach on its turf and having, I think, quite longer holding periods. Um, in fact, I always love to remark that there's a sensible holding period for, um, you know, shares um, somewhere between the day trader and, and Warren's favourite holding period, which is, <laughs> I think he may have set himself forever, <laughs> if it's a good company. Um, there's there are always some interesting challenges around having to try and um, take all those things into account to, to develop um, um, the portfolio That because what I've found over the journey as well is addressing things that meet different criteria for investors at different points in their life cycle as well. And, uh,
0: yeah, I think that's a, it. It is an important thing, isn't it? Because yes. um, it, you can't assume that everybody is the same and you can't yes. even group people and saying, okay, you're at this stage of your life and therefore you must all be the same because exactly. that's not true either. Exactly. Uh, so, so many different um, factors that come into The in factors that boat. go into it and that different
1: people have different needs and criteria around what's necessary, everything from um, retirement savings, how you actually construct your portfolio as, whilst you're in um, your work um, phase through to the retirement phase, and um, you know, I've, I've always remarked, oh, you can't just uh, just where interest rates are at now, although it's interesting in that they're, they're coming back up again. But you know, um, I've always remarked, I had to come off their 2000 year lows at some point, <laughs> and um, it just seemed just at a complete outlier to have interest rates so low for so long that it, I think it's created um, different challenges um, for different types of investors, but and. You know, dare I say, um, the different challenges that we, we have. If you have a home loan as well, just how quickly interest rates have changed, it creates different challenges again. And uh,
0: yeah, it's it's and it's it, it, you have to delve into what people's needs are and at, at any given point. Um, you know, perception is uh, of of circumstances. I've I've, I've re- relayed this idea on a podcast once before, but it's like if you picture in your mind. Someone, uh, someone walking down the street and they stop for a moment at some flowers and then keep going on. Now, there's a lot of stories that can be written around that. It could yes. be that they've, uh, they've stopped because um, they've thought, oh, no, it's uh, hay fever season again. It could be that they were, you know, admiring the, the the flowers. It could be that it provoked a memory. It could be that they just happened to accidentally stop there and they didn't even notice the flowers. Like there's yes. there's a whole array of potential things that could have happened. And we have this nasty habit of assuming that everybody is, is everything is the same. So... I think being able to understand those different factors. And I think, you know, when you're looking at businesses as well, there are factors that come into play depending on who the people are that are involved in their capabilities as well. So business might have been set up in one way and doing really well there, but if the personnel changes, that could um, change everything.
1: You could almost even argue. And one of the interesting things, a a great example is, you know, one of the, the names that we hold in the portfolio, of course, when you have to address these sorts of things, interesting enough, is um, <clears throat> electric vehicles. And all the, um, I think, the challenges that Tesla has had while Elon Musk has been, I think, shall we say, politely been um, sort of had his focus elsewhere. And um, how much of that, though, is uh, directly, um, the business is tied to it what he's doing and how you contrast that and compare it um, to other um, uh, motor vehicle manufacturers as well. I think the fascinating thing about all of that is, uh, to Tesla's credit, is how they've finally motivated the other motor vehicle manufacturers to finally pull their digit out and start addressing, we have to move away from combustion engines mm. and um, everything from what BYD now does to what Toyota's wanting to to do with hydrogen engines. I don't claim to be uh, my colleague, Matt, um, who established the business, has uh, technical knowledge on on that front. Uh, it's always fascinating having the conversation around those sorts of things. But then, like I said, that's the interesting challenge. I think Tesla has actually motivated the, the other manufacturers to do things, but they've kind of been dragged, kicking and screaming a bit, haven't they? But then what's been interesting to see is how that's evolved with, um, Everything from looking at, okay, everyone knows that there's no point purchasing a combustion engine based car anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you, is it going to be a hybrid though or a full electric car? And there's uh, another mate of mine who's an engineer will bore you with all the technical reasons why he rates certain manufacturers over others based around the, the life of the battery. And what are they going to do with it after it's finished? And it's like, geez, you wouldn't have thought about that sort of thing. And uh,
0: yeah, it is. It's, it's, look at it, and And it's, you know those factors are so huge, and yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of elements that are that can sometimes be difficult to to 100 quantify. I imagine as well. I mean, exactly. I could be looking at you and I are both uh, fans of football, but I think we might follow different yes. codes. Um, <laughs> but that that that's what happens when you're a different sides of the border. Um, but uh, but I think the the same sort of analogy goes there that uh, you don't see many football teams that win back to back to back to back. Because sure. there's a lot of things that happen. First of all, the the team changes, players come and go, players get older, injuries happen. There are exactly. those factors, and the and the opposition understands better about how you and analyzes how to how address how that, and how they
1: it. adapt and evolve to address and
0: meet um, yeah. that as well. And there's always a new strategy that uh, on on how we're going to play and do something different, and that's yes. uh, and that will create a new trend that will null and void yes. whatever tactic had got you to the to the top in the first place. So exactly. it's, um, yes. you know, businesses have to be that robust in exactly. as well.
1: And you're seeing that on the same side. So, you know, the other thing, I think that probably the, the more important emphasis that we, we sort of look at is, I suppose, um, how it's also been addressed, um, sort of evolving to address, um, um, you know, um, electricity generation and um, you know everything from renewables to what are the large scale electric um, um, producers doing to address the issues to move away from um, uh, their current process to a, to, a, to a more, more adaptive measures that are going to help us meet
0: the, um, the, um, the climate change criteria that's been set yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, cheese, and that whole that whole um, rabbit warren. That's and a that's a whole no, on its
1: and... and like I said, um, I, I know Matt when I, he talks very passionately on all that area. And this is the fascinating thing: how you kind of bring different areas of knowledge, and that's his area of knowledge and expertise. And and that's like right. We can combine all of that around addressing which companies within that criteria um, are a better position to take advantage of that sort of thing. And um, yes. yeah, around I the.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the important thing that this yeah. is about um it's it this is not playing lotto here. This is not this no. is not uh, this is no. not just about gee, my lucky number is this, let's pick that, let's pick those I, and hope that's it.
1: I felt that's been the long run challenge of being involved in investment management, I think, is helping to educate people not to think that investing in the share market is like buying a tax ticket. It is just totally different. Um and you see all of these different challenges come and go because there are spaces within the market where it can feel like that between you know what we call the small cap and the micro cap space where, you ironically enough, some of the companies that we're looking at fall into that space that can do spectacularly well um, versus, I think, trying to... <laughs> um, have a more diversified portfolio that means that you can pick up on what I kind of describe as different factors, but you um the other um, yeah it, it'll it'll uh, perform well over time, and it's ensuring that you're doing that and that you're investing in viable businesses over the long run. Don't ever think that the share market and and the type of investing that we do is. Um, a lucky dip or um, a lottery. It should, you shouldn't ever think of the share market that way. Yeah.
0: No, uh, and I think there's, uh, for too long, that has been the case with a, with a lot of people. And and yeah. I think that there's a, I think what's really interesting as well, we're in a day and age where there's a lot a lot of discussion, obviously, around crypto and, oh, yes. and those kinds I'm of things. I'm glad areas.
1: you raised it. I wasn't sure whether I was going to or not, because <laughs> that is a, a, a different topic again, but almost in effect, I, I believe, you know, I'm um, probably putting it out there, I'm very sceptical on cryptocurrencies. And um, that's not to knock blockchain technology. Blockchain technology, I'm interested in you know, your technical knowledge as well, I think is fascinating. And the cryptos just happen to be the first thing that used it. But I, I don't know is the honest answer, but I'm still very sceptical around what kind of role can a cryptocurrency play when ultimately those that want to use it are those that don't want um, governments and entities like them to see what they're doing. <laughs>
0: it's, a, it, it's a very strange contradiction at, at a philosophical level because, you know, exactly what you're sort of pointing out and in, in that there's this kind of need for, um, you know, at, at a basic term, a currency that is more global exactly. and less chained to governments. And the theory behind that is, is we don't need the governments, but yet, here we live in a wor- in a world where we still have wars. We still have countries invading one another. We still have you know very large mm-hmm. obstacles between moving between countries. Whether you're yes. a, you know a citizen or or a company doesn't matter. Um, and so with all of that in place, uh, where the the fact of the matter is is that borders matter. Yes. We, we can argue whether they should or shouldn't. But the vast majority feeling, it's certainly the way that the, the world is run, is that borders do matter. So if that's the case, how successful can you be in that um, kind of idea of those global, those global exactly. markets? And yet on the other hand, you know, you have the reality that the technology that we're sitting here and using uh, right yes. now allows us to have clients and colleagues yes. that are um global
1: not yeah. non-local and, and it changes the dynamic of those sorts of things so yeah I, I still feel it's always the challenge around getting the balance around around the, the nature of the technology and what you're using it for and uh yeah it's a um it's a it's a whole um you know vast area around uh <laughs> cryptos that uh, you've seen extensive discussion for and against and um, like i said uh, I suppose until such time as you see, I think proper um, government regulation of uh, how um, uh, digital currencies are uh, managed, it's probably not going to go anywhere anytime soon. I, I think, but, um, yes,
0: yeah, yes. There's a whole there's a whole another area around that, and uh, I will have him on the program uh, soon. I did actually have him on my um, on yes. my Better Biz program, but. Uh, um certainly have someone that um specializes in accounting for cryptocurrency within itself sure. is a very That's a challenge isn't it challenge yeah. yes. yes yes so we, we'll um uh, we'll we'll get him on the program in, in the coming while but yes. uh, i wanted to take you back to the beginning because um um you know going into the area of actually being starting to become an actuary is like there's, I don't know what you probably know better. There's probably the first thing you learn is what percentage of people actually go on to do that because pretty small, yeah,
1: right? It's pretty small. And um, I kind of remarked the actuaries were the original data scientists mm. uh, back in the day when there was no computers and you had to do all the calculations by hand. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see, I think, you kind of almost ask yourself or, or go back to yourself as, um, you know, when you're at high school, university, this is what you end up doing sort of thing. And it's quite different to, I suppose, what you kind of originally envisaged. Um, I was It was because everyone used to ask, how did you become interested in actuarial studies, Rog? And it's like, well, I had to find something to do <clears throat> at work experience. And my father is an accountant and looked at, remember the old CES job guides were by um, industry. And so there's the finance one. I'm reading about accountants and it's kind of, yeah, it's all right. And I've just literally flicked the page and actuaries next in alphabetical order. And it's like, Oh, yeah because I've always enjoyed maths and been good at maths and uh, yeah that, that, that sounds really interesting and it, it's it it's interesting to even see how the act I I've, um, the actuarial profession itself has evolved uh, I still stay in touch with a number of colleagues um, within within the actuarial profession even though I formally left it many years ago um, but how I think and it's interesting one of my both of my brothers work in the insurance industry and my younger brother is a young um, Um, a medical research underwriter at a big American insurance company says, oh, mate, you know, I love giving the actuaries a hard time because what do they rely the most on? Big data and insuring medical research? You don't have a lot of that. Mm. (laughs) So it's up to him to decide it. So it's always having a a great conversation with him around some of these topics. But then I moved away from that into... um, I suppose more on the treasury and, and derivatives and investment sort of management and a, a interesting discussion topic. How your kind of you, you, your career evolves and if you're in the right place at the right time, how it can um, really uh, change the way that you think about things.
0: Oh, 100%. Uh, Again, something I have mentioned on this program before is that uh, a mentor of mine uh, uh, in in a speech that he made many, many years ago said, your career is nothing more than a collection of selected pivotal moments. Yes. um, I'm a big believer that that is the case and there are those those moments. I um, totally
1: agree, Anthony, because I'm sure we can all um, identify certain ones as as it evolves yeah well, absolutely. Otherwise.
0: <laughs> absolutely but uh, but i think you know it's fascinating really that there you are you know working with your dad you know going with your dad as an accountant and you go now oh, let's go you know looking at the yeah. numbers and i think the numbers the interesting thing about numbers is when you just sort of delve into it you're creating a story in there yes. and, and and ultimately that's uh, i suppose that you, you know i really-
1: totally agree with you i've found the most interesting challenge with more quantitative type investment strategies is how to convert the numbers into a story, because mm. there still always is, even with um, the types of strategies that we've built. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, here um, what I've done in previous business ventures, and there's still always um, a story that goes even with the numbers. <laughs>
0: and, uh, oh yes, and 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 there's a and it's and it's fast endlessly fascinating. Um, how numbers are reported in so many different ways and yes. the meaning that is often attached to them and whether that um meaning is right or not uh, often is not considered and I, I, I for it's... me one of the fascinating ones is when we come up to an election period
1: absolutely and,
0: and we get these constant reporting on, uh, on numbers of um you know oh, yes, so, but but a, who's voting which a,
1: way and, um... yes
0: there's an increase in the uh in in the uh you know the approval rating of this person or that person and yep. you know it's 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 fascinating because the truth is is more often than not that's yep. in the um w- within the uh the, you know the the standard deviation it's, yep. it's not even worth reporting the numbers and exactly. yeah it's been gone up, oh, by, 1%, so that, go, it, up really? by one percent yeah. yeah and dare i say that's a
1: great example anthony anthony of um how to try and talk around because that's a quite a standard technique that you use when you're sampling these things is what's the standard deviation because if, if you try doing it you know 100 different times you're going to get different numbers within a certain range and so how how different is that and um if you try and explain it to different people you get either something from oh geez that makes sense to a totally closed over look on what are you talking about and uh,
0: <laughs> yeah well and and often the often the um uh, the stories can defy what the numbers actually really are exactly. because because often you look at sample sizes and things and you go "Yeah." i mean mm-hmm. I, I i won't yes. i won't mention the company that this was about but I, I was only just listening to the radio earlier today and there was a, yes. a, a grab from a program Recorded the day before, and they were referring to uh, a trend that a company had released based on you know some re- so- so-called research that they'd done. Now, I would dare say that the sample size for the research was extremely small. They yes. went in. They went in. Probably. there was a marketing intent to create a headline and a story, which they have been very successful in in creating some headlines around because it was just different. Now. Yes. Did they manipulate data in order to get that story out? Well, I've, I'm not privy to the data, so I don't know. Yes. But I suspect so because if they actually went in and asked this particular question in the first place, it would have been interesting. I don't know how. Yes. Without revealing too much, um, it no, just would have been a fascinating saying. question is to 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 have asked. And I think that's the that's the thing too is that that we that 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 you know we joke about it, but in reality. The story that you tell around numbers can be very, very different depending Absolutely. on your depending on your perspective and what you're looking for and, and, and what you looking
1: for. To... And I, I'll yeah. give you a great example. Literally, even last week, as you saw with um, uh, Nvidia, the share price there, um, and it's um, <clears throat> they made some announcement, and they um, I, I think the biggest challenge I've seen in markets over the journey is how much they prepare themselves for when companies make earnings announcements know, right? yeah. um because there's so much built into what they think the number's going to be <laughs> um, all the pollsters literally the analysts on the other, uh, other side and then the company actually reports um and then you know nvidia had that, that significant announcement last week and without boring you with too much quantitative stuff the, the price earnings ratio went from i felt an already ridiculous so you know the higher the price earnings ratio the more expensive the stock is the longer you've got to hold it i think to feel you can justify owning it uh and you know the share price went through the roof and and you kind of look at the numbers and you kind of go i can't i couldn't validate it before i can't validate holding that now but there are other people that do how do you bring all that together and um so that, that that presents and you know it uh, went through a price-earnings ratio of 60 times to 200 times. And it's like, right. Uh, and you saw the same. Uh, interesting enough, though, we do have Tesla in the, in the portfolio. It goes through these cycles. And I think that's been the interesting challenge is how to evolve the investment process to reflect these sorts of things, because you can't just rely purely on very fundamental, dare I say, more rational context, which is, right, you, you, I'm... I'm the share price NVIDIA's trading now, I'm, I'm effectively buying 200 years' worth of earnings to get that. Um, it'll change. And, uh, yeah, it's trying to bring all that information together in a meaningful way and build a portfolio. I've been really wrapped with what we were able to do with, um, I think, addressing different challenges because um, even within, um, we kind of call it these days the ESG framework environmental social and governance issues is a a big source you've probably seen material um, that's been circulated the challenge I've seen in ESG space particularly in very quantitative approaches is um, ESG is a very non-quantitative kind of topic (laughs) and and that's not to discredit it at all it's got an important process to play but it dare I say that brings the human element into it all doesn't it Um, and what Important around addressing these sorts of things but the tragic quantity loves to say you know ens are a positively related function of g which is the governance thing it's, what are boards doing to address these things because they know full well you've seen what everything from um agl and um big companies are having to do um down to um you know companies of all sizes saying there are um Challenges we all need to meet to be able to address climate change issues, and yeah, that falls under that criteria. But that's you don't want to just coin it as something that it's got to. I think fit together and as part of a a bigger picture and um, uh, more complete story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that whole that whole area is uh, is a fascinating one. Um, You talk about story as well in 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 that space because. it's too often that the emphasis is on the G, that it's that it's just yes. we're ticking a box here and we're not really telling a story that's around it. And there's a lot of missed opportunities, opportunities around us.
1: And are they actually also um, not addressing things that should be addressed or are they addressing it in such a way to only tick a box, not actually do something meaningful about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um I we could go on for ages because I yes. know we we have <laughs> yeah. plenty of t- plenty of times in the past Roger we but have. I wanted to ask you one final question before we sure. wrap things up. Um it's a question that I like to 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 fire at all my guests is around the idea of that heart moment that people have when they come to work with you that you kind of wish that more people Got to that a little quicker. And in fact, realised they were going to get to that moment, but, but potentially before they even started working with you. So you have more people knocking on your door. So what do you what do you find with that vast amount of of, of knowledge that you've got and analysis that you do? Is there is there an aha moment that you find clients have? Um,
1: yes, I think the one I've found the most is in the aha moment is I think literally how you bring that information together, I think, in a way that um, anyone with different types of knowledge can understand and particularly around <clears throat> combining all these different factors and you kind of go, <laughs> for, for want of a better analogy, I, I, I always like to say, you know, the, the kind of companies we're looking for with the, with factor investing, it's almost like now you're trying to find the specialist batters or bowlers. No, the what we're looking for are the all-rounders, and um, because you've got to be able to exhibit good characteristics across a variety of factors, not just be focused on one group or another. And that's what I've found managing portfolios over twenty years. It's um, over the long run, it's the all-rounders that do better, and uh,
0: yes. Yeah, fa- fascinating, and and um gee, we could delve deep into that as well, and that whole yes. idea. Hopefully,
1: uh, that's what I found is in the Aha moment is I think trying to provide a meaningful analogy that people go, "Oh yeah, I understand what you're talking about." It is. It's 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 so often. Do you that find the be, same thing with your you know, stuff that you discuss as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and uh it's something that I've I, I found in in recent times as as we focus the business a little bit on on uh, trying to assist those businesses that are looking to be exitable. Um, yes. We kind of do the re- real estate analogy because we sure. understand that idea that before you sell a house, you come in and you do some things with styling, with painting walls and yes. painting carpets. And we can come in and do that from a sales and marketing perspective, but Makes creating sense. assets rather than just simply being something that is just a uh, but That's I think understand too. that analogy. I just uh, recorded a, a previous episode of a podcast with a guest whose analogy was around Formula One, which was fascinating. Oh, didn't, he didn't oh, know I was yeah. a Formula One fan beforehand, but... Uh, I'm an absolute Formula One. Things.
1: My grandfather used to race Formula Fords in a Bugatti. I feel like I'm always channelling grandfather when I'm managing the portfolio, because whenever I used to go and see him, he was always perpetually fiddling with the engine, and I feel like I'm doing that with the share portfolio half the time, and... Uh, <laughs>
0: Yes I I, I, I I know what you mean I know what you mean so those analogies particularly when we're in these complicated areas are just so important, important. and and I know the the you know we've touched the surface of the kinds of uh, analysis that you do and and the implication that it has that uh, yes. um for those that um that are interested uh, to work with you and I, and I think that uh, what we what we do with all of our um, our guests is we'll include some information in our show notes on how to get in touch with you and, uh, and opportunities to to work with you because um uh, yes. I can tell you listeners that uh Roger is uh, full of a vast amount of knowledge on uh on so many different areas and um, I'm sure we're going to have you back as a guest in the future so so thanks again for your time Roger thank you again Anthony always great to chat and catch up BizBytes is brought to you by Comtogether for all your marketing needs. So you can build your brand, engage audiences on multiple platforms. Go to comtogether.com.au, follow the links to book an appointment for a free consultation.